And a very warm welcome to the uh, Big Kickoff uh, Football Podcast for yet another week. I'm Peter Moore. Tonight I've been joined by the two ends, uh, namely Nathan uh, from the Big Kickoff and Neil also from the Big Kickoff. Com. So uh, a lot to get through in about the next 40 minutes. We're going to rattle on. Um, let's start at the bottom of the premiership. Why not? And obviously, we've had FA Cup action this weekend, which we'll go on to shortly. But um, I'm going to start things off then with the Premier League um, at the bottom. Uh, Sheffield United, as we said last week, uh, looked pretty doomed. Ditto West Brom. There's a fair bit of fight between uh, Fulham, Newcastle and Brighton, you'd have to say, for that one other remaining spot. Um, Neil, I'll come on to you first of all, actually. Let's face it, Steve Bruce, he's really got a big fight on his hands, hasn't he? Yeah, they're in big, big trouble here now. Um, Peter, to be honest with you, I watched their game in the weekend and there was not an awful lot that you could say that would uh, cheer up their supporters at this point in time. But... um, Probably the most worrying thing is that they're on a really bad run. They've no form. Um, and the likes of Fulham, even though they have a game in hand on them, are just breathing down their necks and look like they have a little bit more fight, maybe a little bit more fire in the belly. Um, I know Fulham were beaten by Leeds, but even their performance wasn't too bad. Um, I think they looked kind of, at least they have a bit of aggressiveness to them. They have a game plan to them. Um, whereas Newcastle really look at odds and ends. And it's not just kind of the last week or two. It, it's probably the last month or so that they really, really have gotten themselves pulled into this fight. Um, they're the type of team that doesn't seem like they have a lot of goals in them. Um, and even listen to the body language and listen to the players. Steve Bruce sounds a little bit depressed almost in interviews. Um, so I'd be worried about Newcastle if I was supporting them at the moment in time, for sure. And of course, uh, I read today somewhere, uh, Neil, that uh, uh, Mick Ashley has come out with a classic quote, uh, no, I won't be sacking them. Steve Bruce. <laughs> yeah. Where we heard Unsackable. that. Unsackable. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, guys, isn't it a shame to see a club like Newcastle in this state, you know? If you look at the fan base and the city and the stadium itself, it's an absolute fantastic venue. Like, Newcastle has the bones to be, to be an absolute fantastic club and to be a club that should be challenging for European spaces. But And the fact that we're talking about them being relegation uh, hopefuls or relegation, they look like they're going to be relegated at this stage. It's just, just a shame to see, in my opinion, you know, like Newcastle have always had, had the look of a side that could be doing better and should be doing better. Like, this is a team we thought were going to be taking over at the start of the season. Mm. There was a lot of interest and a lot of rumour about that, but now they, they just, look, just look destined for the championship uh, by the performances. And I guess if they did go down, which probably, at the, as it stands at the moment, is very much on the cards, it has to be said. If we're probably upsetting a few Newcastle fans, I, I think most of them are probably beginning to realise that by now. But uh, do you reckon, guys, that they could bounce straight back up? I think it'd be quite difficult, you know. Like, you look at the championship even this season, not even this season, but mostly the championships is, is an absolute nightmare of a league. It's mm. it's arguably more even entertaining than the Premier League because, you know, you, you have a good 10 clubs that could realistically get promoted. So... With the, with the squad they have at the moment, I think they'd, they'd struggle. I, I wouldn't be banking on them to come straight back up uh, at the first time I've asked, and I have to be honest. Yeah, there's not a lot of investment that goes on when you look as in the right kind of investment. They seem to, you know, the, the, the type of player that they look for is probably a championship type of player, and then they're trying to get a little bit more out of them. But even if you look at the, the squad that they had out on the weekend, um, 
I know Joe Linton was big money when they signed him, but he has been an absolute disaster. But a lot of the players that they have, the fringe type of players they have, Mankeo, you know, Hayden, Fraser, a few of these guys, they're championship-based players. Um, and they're not necessarily good championship-based players, in my opinion. So that squad would need a lot of work, I think, in order to get that kind of consistency to get out of championship. It's very, very difficult league to get out of. Yeah, I, I must admit, guys, I, I, I really 100% go along with those uh, statements. I mentioned about Brighton. Um, Neil, do you feel Brighton are safe now or not? I think they have to be safe now. I, I think they'll feel they're safe. And I think that win was an absolute huge win. And the reaction to them when they scored goals, the reaction when they won the game was huge. Um, and I think it's, it's it's great credit to the way Brighton have been playing. Even since Christmas, they've I know they haven't been picking up wins, but their performances have been really, really strong. Uh, they create a lot of chances, even though, again, they don't seem to finish enough of them. And that's been their Achilles heel this year. But uh, they've got the kind of guts of a good side. I think they've a manager that believes in good football. Um, and I think he'll still go out and attack teams, which means they'll pick up, what, like one or two more wins, which even could be enough at this stage for them. Hmm. Uh, Nathan, what's your take on the relegation battle? Yeah, look, um, I think for the longest longest time now, it's seen with these Sheffield United and West Brom, as you mentioned, I, I, I pretty much dead in the water now. And in fairness to, to Fulham, I, I thought Fulham were in massive trouble there not too long ago, but Scott Parker, he's, he's a very spirited team there. You know, you've seen them on the weekend. I know they were beaten against Leeds, but as Neil said, it's um, there was a good side, you know, like there's plenty of fight in that team and the addition of Josh Maggi in January, you know, he picked up a couple of key goals, so he could be important. Uh, Luckman as well is a pretty good player. So, yeah, if, if I'm going pretty much, I'm in the same boat as you guys. I think Brighton might be okay. They're six points off the drop now. Two massive wins against Southampton and Newcastle. So, if I'm if I'm looking at Newcastle and Fulham to be the, one of the sides to go down at the moment on current form, and if I'm looking at the squads, yeah, I think Newcastle are in massive, massive trouble here. I really, really do. Mm, yeah, so it looks like we're going to vote for Newcastle to go down. So if we've got any Toon fans listening, apologies about that. Um, you're listening to the Big Kickoff Football Podcast. We've got Nathan, Neil and myself, Peter here, digesting uh, all that's been happening and uh, what's coming up in the next few days. We'll be talking Champions League very shortly indeed. But I mentioned about the FA Cup because mainly the, the bulk of the fixtures this weekend have certainly been, uh, and the limelight has been in the FA Cup as well. Um, Neil, let's come on to you. Uh, Manchester United, they were very poor, weren't they, against Leicester? Yeah, this is um, a kind of an unusual game insofar as it showed two very contrasting sides. I think that when you looked at Man United, you looked at the team they sent out, I think Solskjaer obviously went to kind of keep them fresh after their game on Thursday. Um, so he obviously brought in a couple of the, the guys that have been on the fringe. Um, and he, he probably he obviously felt and listened to his interviews afterwards. He felt he needed to do that. That the, some of the guys were running on empty, but uh, Leicester absolutely they smelled blood in the water and they went at them from minute one. And whether Brendan Rodgers kind of expected them to be tired or just thought, you know what, we're the home team and we're going to have a go at these, uh, it certainly paid off. And they just went hunting Man United down, kind of from minute one, and they took the front, you know, kind of the initiative in the game. Um, I was a little bit surprised, number one, that Leicester didn't sit back because they tend to do that against, you know, the top four, top six teams a bit more than they do. But they definitely hunted Man United in their in their home, or sorry, in their third, in their first third. And uh, clearly then it played dividends because they got off to a great start, courtesy of a, a lovely true ball from Fred. 
and uh, that kind of set them up for the rest of the game, you know. <laughs> I, I, I had a feeling Fred had come into the equation, didn't he? Uh, <laughs> brilliant, like it. Um, I, I think the mentality of Leicester was was well up for this, as you as you quite rightly said, Neil, in particular. I mean, United, they looked very tired as well, didn't they? Also, I mean, I'm not using that as an excuse, no, but you just looked around, and and I felt personally. You know, like you said, you know, that they were sort of virtually running on empty, weren't they, with, with the, the amount of games they've had to play in the last well, few weeks or so in particular? Yeah, it was more the reaction, I think, out of them, even when they went to goal down. And it, there was no point in the game, even when they scored the equalise, that I kind of thought they might kick on now, win this. Um, yeah, they just looked second best all over. And I, I guess my biggest criticism would be in that game was that if you look at Leicester's midfield and I mean both sides kind of set out the same way but if you left look at Leicester's midfield and Indeedy and Tielemans they just look different class compared to uh, to Matic and Fred when they got on the ball they made things happen um, and I think that's the main thing I think both sets of them can break the ball down and kind of act as blockers but Tielemans showed then that he could break forward that he could be more productive going forward and I think it's a massive massive problem for Man United not just for this game but Going forward, how they get a little bit more, if Solskjaer is going to stick with the two blockers, how they get more out of that position, you know, a little bit more quality going forward. Um, Nathan, um, we're talking Manchester United. Let's go to the other half of Manchester. The Manchester City uh, win wagon keeps uh, rolling on, no matter what's thrown in front of them. They seem to produce the goods time and time again. Late goals against Everton. Um, they're into the semi finals. Quadruple, do you feel it's on? Well, it, it, it's, it's an unbelievable squad of players you have at the moment, you know. Um, I'm, I'm not sure who you guys are, are tipping for the Champions League, but I, for me, they'd certainly be up there. Um, I suppose the one thing you could have always said about uh, Manchester City was going forward, there was no question about them, but the defence was always a little bit lacking, but that's non-existent this season. You know, the likes of uh, Ruben Diaz, John Stones, has been a revelation this season. Uh, even Laporte, who's still playing too, you know, like these have been fantastic for Manchester City this season, and it's the best Manchester City have looked defensively since Vincent Company left the club. And if we are honest, uh, I was quite disappointed by uh, this game. You know, I, I thought Everton would have set up a little bit differently. I found them extremely defensive. I, I know the uh, the five at the back walked against Liverpool uh, last month, but it just didn't hear at all. I, I thought he would have even went on a counter attack a little bit, but they were very defensive minded. He sat back for a majority of the game. A lot of the chances even for Everton came through uh, set pieces and things like that. So it was, yeah, it was quite disappointing to see that from an Everton point of view. But yeah, look, Manchester City fans can only be delighted to, to, to see another win and one step closer to the quadruple, as you said, because yeah, they look fantastic at the moment. Like, going again again with a goal who's been probably one of the best players this season yeah they, they, they do look really really unstoppable at the minute don't you guys Neil um, the South Coast Derby uh, always a always a, a feisty encounter and always a, a good watch under normal circumstances Southampton of late have been in complete free fall it has to be said in, in, in the Premier League but certainly in the uh, FA Cup they've really highlighted this as some competition they could possibly go all the way. Uh, they beat Bournemouth 3-0, convincing the overall? Yeah, I think so. Um, so, Hampton are that kind of strange kind of side where they definitely have goals in them. And I think Hassan Hill definitely sends them out on the front foot. Um, and it's kind of a little like lead sometimes when you watch them that 
they do play very attacking football and they leave themselves open to kind of counter-attacks. Now, Bournemouth didn't really test them, to be fair, but they have goals in them and I think that they can cause teams troubles based on that. Um, I think Spurs opened them up earlier on in the season and, you know, there's been a few teams that have given them kind of hidings in games, which you worry a little bit about them, but in a cup game, in a one-off, and you know, something that you're big up for like that, um, I think Southampton are a dangerous enough team. And, you know, funnier things that happen in semi-finals where you can overcome a big team and make a final. Now, if history is taught as that, and sometimes that means you go into the final and then you get found out. But uh, yeah, I, I think if I was a, a supporter of Southampton at the moment, I'd be very happy with how they've played. Um, and the display was very good and the, the goals were super. Some of the goals were very, very good that they scored. And Nathan, obviously, if you were a Chelsea fan, um, you'd be quite happy as well so far. Um, new manager, players are looking well well uh, in line with what he wants as regards uh, a squad and how he wants to play football as well. Everyone's gelling in well together. Um, they had to dig deep, didn't they, against Sheffield United? But in the end, like with all cup games, it doesn't matter how well or could you perform, at the end of the day, it's about getting into the next round and that's exactly what they've done. Yeah, of course, uh, knockout football, it just matters about the, uh, the result really, doesn't it, rather than the performance. Yeah, look, in fairness to Sheffield United, you know, all credit credit where it's due, I thought he were very spirited and I thought he put really put it up against um, a Chelsea side. It looked a little bit tired to me, I don't know if that's down to the, the congested uh, fixture list, I'm not too sure, again, not going to make excuses for them. But yeah, look, uh, fair play to, to Sheffield United, but they're just lacking that little bit of quality again, which we have seen this season in the final third. Uh, yeah, Chelsea made a few changes, like the Billy Gilmer came in, Emerson, Kepe, uh, yeah, these sort of players came in and they put on a decent performance, you know, uh, went one day up with, with a Norwood own goal and they left it until the 90th minute to really seal the game off uh, to, to go out 2-0 uh, winners, but... Yeah, look, they, they've been really, really good since uh, Thomas Tuchel took over. They can only be happy and they were into the semi-finals of the, of the FA Cup and we're going to talk about now in a while as well, but they also advanced to the Champions League. So, yeah, it's been a good week for Chelsea and, and a good time seeing to continue under Thomas Tuchel. What do you think uh, Thomas Tuchel has brought to this side then, Nathan, that obviously Lampard didn't have? I think there just seems to be a renewed vote of confidence in certain players. Like, for example, like I... Uh, Mason Mount might struggle under him, you know, like obviously he's just a player that Frank Lampard really, really uh, appreciated and admired, but he's picked up where he left off under Lampard, you know, like guys like Pulisic have came in, um, is in a Zoom, is a little bit in there with the team at the moment, but yeah, guys like this seem to be playing a bit more confidence under Tuchel, and I think the style of play seems to suit a lot of players more than it did under, um, under, under Lampard, you know, it's you seem to sort out some certain positions too. You know, under Lampard, there's a lot of chopping and changing in certain, certain positions, like the the central striker, for example. You know, but there seems to be um, Giroud seems to be, to be slowly but surely nailing down that position. So it's a mix of consistency and confidence. But yeah, they look a much better side under Tuchel, and they, they have to be really, really happy with how they're doing uh, under him this season. And do you think Peter looking at Chelsea? Okay. Sorry, Peter. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, no, no, do you think no, they're no, looking? Yeah, do you think looking at Chelsea when they're on the different between Tuchel and the different and, and Lampard in particular, does it kind of show that a side like Chelsea that are top four or should be top four, a lot of money, a lot of investment, they need an experienced coach, someone that has kind of the utmost respect. Not saying that they didn't respect Lampard, but the, the change around since he's gone has been unbelievable. What's kind of the feeling on your side of the water around that type of experienced type of manager who brings that extra kind of 
level of respect into the game with him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I personally 100% agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's proved, isn't it? I mean, you've, you know, you've only got to look at the results, haven't you? In comparison to, obviously, Frank Lampard's time there as such as well. Um, Nathan, just quickly going back to the FA Cup, finally. Two semi-finals. The pick of it has to be Chelsea and Manchester City, does it not? Yeah, I think it does, doesn't it? You know, um, I, w- I still wouldn't be sleeping on the Leicester City Southampton game. You know, it's um, on paper, you know, it, you, you might look at Leicester City and fancy them to go through, but Southampton have been really performing well in the FA Cup, so I wouldn't be writing them off just yet. But yeah, uh, Chelsea and Manchester City w- would be the game to be looking at. Um, as we, we, we've just mentioned there, Chelsea, since Tuchel have come in, have been a completely different side and absolutely fantastic. Where Manchester City, you know, by a recent uh, stumble to Manchester United, they've they've looked absolutely unbeatable in all competitions and the strength and depth that they have in that squad, they can still afford to rest one or two players in these cup games, but the one or two players that, that, that they're winning on at, at internationals, you know, like, these are players that could walk into pretty much every other side uh, in the Premier League. So, yeah, it, it, it will be a very, very fascinating toy, uh, the Chelsea and Man City game, but... Yeah, look, I, I still think it's a good opportunity for a side like Southampton to get themselves into a final. Well, let's have a look at the FA Cup. Let's uh, go up a notch in our Champions League. The draw was made uh, a few days ago. And, uh, well, British clubs, you could probably say, have they come out well? Have they not come out well? Let's get Neil's take um, on the pre-British clubs. Uh, Neil, do you feel the draw was kind to them or not? Um, yeah, I think City would be happy enough to get Dortmund. Um, I think you wanted to avoid Bayern Munich and Paris Saint-Germain and they've drawn each other, which is brilliant. Because um, when you're one of the big teams, you don't necessarily want a massive quarterfinal that you have to go into and win over two legs. Um, you know, you want the easiest passage through to the final if possible. Um, as Nathan said there, like you've got a fancy City and you know, obviously Bayern, who are champions, but uh, City of a serious team. But I have a feeling they will have more than enough for Dortmund. And purely because, as Nathan said again, they're just so solid at the back, whereas Dortmund are very, very poor at the back, I think, for a, a side to be contending for a kind of quarterfinal and semi-final place in Champions League. Um, I think Liverpool will be reasonably happy with the Real Madrid. Um, not that you're happy with anyone, but, you know, I think, again, you wanted to avoid Bayern. Definitely wanted to avoid Bayern. Um, and I think they'll be happy with that. And I think Chelsea obviously got Porto, who are probably the lowest ranked. So you'd expect, you know, Chelsea to have a good uh, a good result there. And again, as we're saying with Tuchel, he'll be he'll be relishing a, t- a tie like that, you know. PSG um, and Bayern Munich, two heavyweight giants. I mean, uh, I suppose uh, when it comes to quarterfinals, it's inevitable, isn't it, that uh, the way some draws pan out, it normally happens to be the two best sides end up drawing each other, which, of course, helps sides later on, doesn't it, down the line as well, remember, because uh, it, at least it means that you're not going to face one of those as such, or, you know, uh, which is a good sign, really. I mean, you know, it's going to knock one of the big giants out, isn't it? I mean, that on paper should be a mouth-watering two-legged affair, shouldn't it? I think it will be. I think it's going to be a fantastic game. Um, I kind of really want to see Bayern stretched a little more now and someone to really get at them. Um, I know Bayern play a very high line. Um, Paris Saint-Germain will go there with no fear. I think they're that type of side 
I know they come from the French league and some, you know, you might look down on the league kind of format that they play in, but they've generally been top notch in the Champions League. And for a side that really, really is built and aspires to win the Champions League, they're going to have to beat the likes of a Bayern Munich at some stage. But um, it'll be a very, very interesting game. Now, that said, it wouldn't surprise me if Bayern went in and outclassed them. But um, I expect Paris to, to really give them a good game and hopefully everybody is fit. I think that's very important for Paris Saint-Germain because they seem to be missing key players at times this season. Even in the last round, they relied on Mbappe to get them through against Barcelona uh, with Neymar injured. So hopefully they have a full squad to choose from. And uh, yeah, that, that's really going to be a crack and tie. Yeah, it should be. If you had to name a winner out of those two, Neil, I'll, I'll stick you on the spot now. Who would you go for over two legs? I can't go away from Bayern. I think they're the absolute team to beat this year. Um, I put them marginally ahead of City purely because of what they've done over the last year. Or sorry, yeah, definitely over the last year or two. But um, I think they've just got the edge at the moment in Europe against the big teams. Um, I'm not saying I'd be totally shocked if they got knocked out. I think Paris Saint-Germain have the capabilities. But uh, yeah, if I was a betting man on that one, I'd go Bayern on it. Nathan? Yeah, it, it is very hard to look past Bayern Munich, you know. Um, hopefully this this tie, the two games will be better than, than last year's final, which unfortunately turned out to be a bit of a dud affair, didn't it? You know, we had high expectations for that one. So, yeah, hopefully we, we will get, we, we treated a little bit more to two decent games um, over the two legs. But, yeah, look, Neil's pretty much covered it. Um, Bayern Munich look absolutely fantastic in European competitions. PSG missing a few key players, but... Yeah, like PSG, you now in fairness, he did steam off Barcelona um, in the last round. It's not the Barcelona team that it used to be, but still always a difficult uh, task to do, you know. But yeah, so like Bayern Munich defensively, they look very, very solid. Lewandowski seems to be breaking records on a weekly basis. So it's very, very hard to look past Munich in this one. Nathan, you touched on uh, um, Robert Lewandowski. I mean, uh, he's a quality act, obviously. He's been around a while. If he played in the Premier League, I'm just throwing this out as a you know general discussion. How do you think he could actually get on? I mean, would he? Do you feel he could settle in the Premier League? Would he be a Premier League type player, or or do you feel he'd find it extremely hard to adjust to? I think a little bit of that would have to depend on what side he goes into. You know, like you look at it, at his physicality wise, you know, he's a big guy, so there'll be no fear of him getting overly bullied or anything in the league. We've seen players come in, uh, they might be uh, more petite guys and they do get a little bit of trouble on the ball, but I don't think that'll be an issue with Lewandowski. Um, like, for example, if he was to go in, just off the top of my head, if he was to go into a Tottenham sites. Um, who don't necessarily, re- like we see Harry Kane there, you know, Kane is probably one of the best out-and-out strikers within the league, but you still see him often coming deep and looking for the ball and having to go searching for the ball. So I think in that environment, Lewandowski would struggle, but if he was to go into a side that would play to his advantage and, and, and rely on him to be a, a central striker, uh, which he does his best worker, his finishing ability alone would speak for itself. So yeah, as boring as the answer might sound, I think it would definitely rely on what sort of team he went into. Neil, what's your take on that? Yeah, I kind of go along what Nathan's saying there. And, and to, to, to hit the nail on the head, I guess, we've been talking an awful lot about Haaland joining one of the Premier League teams and how we would transform them. Um, and I think, say, for example, because Nathan's a Man United man, if, if Man United got a Lewandowski in their team, I think it would completely transform them. Um, if you would compare him to, to uh, Martial, for example, 
you know, you're gone up from a like a Skoda to a Porsche within one move. And this guy has goals written all over him. You know, the difference that he would make to your team in getting you goals would be phenomenal. And I think Man United allow that kind of striker to have a, a less, well, more passive role than some other teams who expect him to track back. Like Tottenham, you know, they have Harry Kane practically on the inside his own box half the time defending. So I don't think he'd do well in a Spurs, but I think he'd be excellent in a Man United or even a Chelsea, a team that really, really played to his strengths. Um, I think he'd score goals all right. And as Nathan said as well, physicality is a big thing when, when players come to the English game and like you know, Werner hit you know said it this year he couldn't believe how big the centre halves were but Lewandowski's a bit more to him and he's a bit more physicality I think he'd be fine mm-hmm. but like even sorry to jump in Peter but even if you look at uh, like Cavani at the moment at Manchester United now it hasn't been an absolute fantastic uh, signing he hasn't changed the team but he's, look, he's looked good he's looked comfortable up there in his own you know like he's good moving off the ball he's a similar probably body type to Lewandowski he's big he's tall he's physical so, yeah, I, I'd agree with, with Neil if, if it was a Lewandowski in an ideal world, you know, like it'd be fantastic to see him come to Manchester United, <laughs> something that um, probably wouldn't happen. But, yeah, I think he would see certain sides like a Manchester United, as you said. Yeah, definitely. I'll tell you what, one player who's in the form of his life who I've been really impressed with since he's, he's made the switch, it has to be said, and it's, it's a good signing, uh, West Ham, Jesse Lingard. I mean, it's amazing, for instance, how a switch can actually get a reaction from a player and they look an entirely different player. Uh, Neil, I'll come to you. First of all, what's your thoughts on Jesse Lingard, obviously at Manchester United at the moment? And is there any players that you'd like to see perhaps in another team or with another manager similar in what exactly what uh, Lingard has done? Yeah, I was discussing this earlier with Roy in, in so far as, like, I never really rated Lingard as a player not necessarily as in I didn't rate him as a player, but not as a kind of a top tier player, you know? Um, and I think Nathan might have shed a bit more light in that of how he taught in Man United's best 11, where he would fit in or would he be in the 11. Um, I think he plays very well for England when he did, you know, in the tournaments. I think he lo- he's that type of dynamic player on the front foot. He was good, but he's had a really, really poor maybe year, maybe year and a half where he wasn't scored and he wasn't assisting. You know, and from my perspective, you only really notice it because people are like, oh, Lingard has no goals, no assist this year. So he must have been at a very, very low ebb. Um, and then he gets this move out of nowhere. And you wouldn't have expected him, you know, to light the world on fire. And he's done absolutely brilliant. Like I watched him there against Arsenal on the weekend mm-hmm. and he just looks like he's reborn. Like, I don't know what has happened to him, whatever Moyes has done to him. Maybe it was just the arm around the shoulder, the bit of confidence and saying, you know what, I'm going to start you in a couple of games here. Go and show me what you can do. Um, but even the goal he scored the weekend against Arsenal was absolute top drawer. It was a peach for goal. Um, but when I look at him, I kind of think to myself, what other players around would you like to see in a different side to see what their reaction would be or what attributes would be? And the three players I picked were, were Zaha, Richarlison off Everton and Neto um, and Neto not necessarily because I think Wolves don't play attacking football but they also defend for their lives they do play deep line a lot but Richarlison is a guy I'd love to see because Everton 
they deprive him of the ball an awful lot. I was Nathan was saying about Ancelotti earlier on with his five in the back and his three defensive midfielders. Richarlison does a lot of dog work. I'd love to see Richarlison in a in a top four side that really, really gives him the license to attack a player 1v1 because I think he's, he's brilliant attributes. He's great speed. He's got a finish on him. Um, I would like to see how he would get on in a, in a side that really plays to his strengths. And that would kind of be the same for Zaha, who, who does a lot of the donkey work for Crystal Palace, but probably doesn't get to attack as much as you would expect. Um, but it, it is interesting to see players change one dynamic from a team to another and all of a sudden transform themselves. Mm. Nathan, have you got any players in mind that you feel, you know, Neil's come up with three good good guys there, it has to be said, in uh, Zahar, Richelson and Neto. W- w- any idea who you would uh, feel would benefit from a switch? Yeah, look, I, I think I touched on one of them earlier in Harry Kane. I, 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 like I said, I think he's an absolute, he's one of the best as a main central striker and it's it can kind of hinder him a little bit you know when, when you see him in his own box and tracking back to the fan and I'm not saying he should be sitting on the halfway line or he should be hatching as a, for lack of a better term you know he shouldn't be shouldn't not be tracking back you know like he do, should be coming back and helping out but I think it can't hinder him a little bit you know sometimes you see him playing and he's so far deep he has to come so far to get the ball I think you know you're sort of taking away some of his skill set. So I'd like to see how Harry Kane would get on um, as a more central striker in a, in a squad that suit him more. I suppose another one I'd like to see, I, I think Danny Yings is an absolute cracking player. And more so, I think, to see what he'd be like with a bit of quality around him. You know, like, like Southampton do have some good players, but if you, have, if you had like a player, and I'm not saying, I, I actually think I read somewhere this morning, I don't know how true this is or not, that um, Manchester City were, was looking at him as a potential to, to come in um, next season. Now, I, I think he, he not saying he'd come in and be a 20-goal-a-season striker at Manchester City, but it certainly would be surprised if his goal tally didn't go up with, with the amount of quality that Manchester City have in that midfield. So, yeah, I think if it was a proper player like Danny Yings and put him into a more, um, a more quality-heavy side, I think he'd do really, really well. I think it'd be interesting to see. Mm, yeah, good point there, actually. Right, Neil, I'm gonna, we're going to have the last word with you for a few minutes because I know, according to you, and I quote, um, Ancelotti, the Italian Sam Allardyce. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> uh, if, he's if he's listening, um, I didn't say that, <laughs> Neil did. Um, why, well, why do you feel that, Neil? <laughs> Um, yeah, again, I was watching the Everton game the other night against Man City and, you know, when you, you have the ability to have an upset in a cup match, regardless of who you're playing, it can be, and that's the FA Cup all over, you kind of have this David and Goliath scenario where, you know, even the Premier League team gets beaten by whatever League One, League Two team, but um, at no stage in the game when I watched this did I ever think that Everton were going to score and at no stage did I ever fear not fear that I have, you know, I have a love for Manchester City, but at no stage did I think anything else was going to happen except for Manchester City would not be able to finally open them up or maybe the game would go to penalties. Um, and I just thought he was super negative and he played five across the back with three defensive mids. And when they were playing, like I watched him against Liverpool. Now Liverpool have a weakness in the back line. So when they were, you know, launching balls forward, Calvert-Lewin was getting in the way and, you know, they weren't letting balls be cleared first time. Um, But against City, they just seemed to aimlessly hoof the ball forward in any direction. The amount of times the Everton defenders cleared the ball and it didn't go anywhere near Richarlison or uh, 
say, uh, up front, or when they're none of them. And they just seem to be chasing the game for 90 minutes. And then when they finally lost the goal, there was no chance that they were going to recover it because they were so defensively set up. It was almost impossible to change the mindset um, in, in any other way. Um, Calvert-Lewin was starved of any real ball. Richarlison tried to make things by coming literally into the midfield, right in front of the blockers and running like 50 yards. I think he got clattered by Fernandinho. And that was literally, in my opinion, as good as a got for them, that they got a free kick on the halfway line, that they might launch in a free kick or they might win a corner. Um, and I thought overall for Ancelotti, the quality that he's brought, you know, in previous jobs, I thought it was absolutely poor. Um, and yeah, after the game, everyone was like, oh, everything is great out there. And they really, you know, they didn't stop and they gave City problems and stuff like that. And I kind of felt, I'm, I don't know if I'm the only one, but if Jose Mourinho, which he may well do in the final against City, set Spurs up and Harry Kane had as many touches as Calvert-Lewin, and at many, you know, touches around his own halfway line, he would be absolutely slaughtered. I don't think he'd get away with it for a second. And, you know, to me, it was just like that. It was like Sam Allardyce, right? Let's line up five. Let's line up three in front of them, two in front of them. And let's see if we can get out of here with a draw. And I, th- I think he just gets away with it because he brought in James Rodriguez. People said he's raising the profile of the club. But can you bring a club like Everton on playing like that? You need to win games. You need to accumulate points. And I, I don't know. I, I think he gets away with it because of his stature. If it was anyone else, I think they'd be nailed to the wall over a performance like that. Yeah, fair point. Nathan, but is this the way football has gone recently? I mean, you know, is this the best method, do you feel, of winning something and being successful? Or is it not the way to be successful? I think the proof was in the pudding a little bit, you know. You, you look at Manchester City, Liverpool, um, Juventus. They, these are all sides that are, um, that, that are very successful, you know, and a lot of them do tend to play with a, an attacking, uh, attacking style of play. I think the only really exception at the moment is Atletico Madrid over at La Liga. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it wouldn't be the most uh, forward-playing side, you know. They set up as, as quite rigid and tough to play against. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's one exception. But if you're looking at the rest um, of, of the even the sides leading the major European leagues now at the moment, you know, throw PSG in there too. A lot of them do have a tendency to play with a more um, attacking outlook. But yeah, I have to say it's pretty interesting. Just going back to uh, Ancelotti for a second. Um, yeah, I actually would agree with you uh, with a lot that you said there, mate. Uh, I think the, the big thing that they did that Ancelotti probably didn't prove everything was you know bringing in a higher uh, quality of player because of his name value. You know, like you said, bringing Luis Rodriguez, Alan Diacore, these sort of guys. But they're still sitting in eighth place. And they finished in eighth or seventh place in the past uh, three out of the past five seasons. So in the table, they, they haven't really moved anywhere. I know it's his, only, it's his fourth full season in the job, but it, yeah, it, like, if, you're looking at, if you're looking at everything to be a side to advance up into the European positions, which they should be, and which by all accounts, you know, people are talking about them like they are going to be this side uh, fighting for European football and possibly Champions League football, like they still haven't really moved anywhere in the table since Ancelotti have came in. Fair point. On that note, that brings us to the end of the Big Kickoff Football podcast. Many thanks, Nathan. Many thanks, Neil. Once again, thanks very much, guys. Take care. And uh, we will speak again soon. <laughs>